three of Off the Wire Podcast. Uh, this is Matt Wireman, and I'm going to thank you for joining me again on this journey as we are trying to uh, just basically get started together. And uh, I've, I've wanted you to listen to the number one, episode one, two, uh, prior to the third one. And, and, but after this third podcast, you won't have to listen to, or I don't, you don't necessarily have to listen to things sequentially, but at least wanted to lay out the framework for what this podcast is about so that it's not, so, so you know who I am, that was episode number two, as well as what the overall purpose of this podcast is, which is, which is episode number one. But this third podcast I wanted to talk about um, what is theological method, and it sounds really um, very uh, academic to say method after any kind of adjective, and then to have the adjective be theological uh, makes it sound like it's some kind of academic thing purely, but every single one of us is doing theological method in some way, and so I just want to speak explicitly about what that is. Um, This obviously is not an exhaustive discussion about it, but it's a formative discussion that I hope will be helpful as you're trying to read the Bible, understand the Bible, and um, and I wanted to welcome those of you who uh, are just joining us, and this is this is uh, episode three, and uh, I just want to thank you for your time and thank you for checking us out. However you found out about this podcast, I'm really thankful because I know that there's a lot of uh, really good podcasts out there, and this is just my little corner of the universe, and uh, if nothing else, hopefully it serves a few people, and I know it it helps me whenever I articulate different things that are in my brain, things that are maybe very disheveled in a lot of ways, a lot of chaos in my mind, to be able to speak and be able to kind of clarify things uh, verbally, uh, as well as through the written word, and so I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this, and, and you know, these first three are going to be shorter form podcasts from the uh, interviews. The interviews that I've, I've already conducted uh, are, are longer form interviews. And these, though, I'm going to be giving these somewhat one-off uh, hot takes, if you will, of what, I ha- what, what I'm thinking of as it relates to things related to the podcast. And so I'm just um, going to, again, encourage you to listen to the first and second podcast to kind of get to know... Uh, what this world is that I'm inhabiting and that I'm welcoming welcoming you into, um, but this first or this this episode three, speaking about theological method, I just wanted to encourage you that every single one of us does a theological method in some way. We're either um, doing a a um, informed way of doing theological method, or we are uh, just haphazardly doing it. And unfortunately, a lot of times people are doing the, their theological method. Method is just a process in which you go, but they're doing it haphazardly. They're just kind of sitting down with the Bible, and they're not really sure where to start. And so maybe you find yourself in that same uh, vein of, okay, I'm, I'm going to open the Bible. I want to learn what the Bible has to say, but I don't have a clue as to how to put you know, Habakkuk and Micah and Joel and Amos and all these minor prophets together with the major prophets, together with the, you know, historical books, together with the Torah, the first five books of Moses, and that's not even talking about the, the New Testament. So how, how do you put these things together? And that, quite frankly, is theological method. How do you put Scripture together in a way that you can answer questions for the hope that you have within you? When the, when the world asks you, why, where's this hope come from, and why, why do you have this hope? You'll be able to give an answer, and so any answer to that question 
presupposes that you've done a theological method, that you've come to some place to say, the Bible teaches this. And so whenever you say that, the Bible teaches this, you're doing theological method. Now again, you can do that in an informed way, or you can do that in just a haphazard, however you feel kind of way. And unfortunately, a lot of times people, uh, I think with good intentions, want to kind of uh, do away with theological method, or at least explicitly uh, speaking about theological method, because they're afraid that in some way the the spirit or the, 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 the spirituality of talking about the Bible is done away with. Uh, You know, I I, uh, know several friends who say, you know, why are you going to seminary? You should just try to um, read the Bible for yourself. You know, we're told in the the New Covenant that there will be no need to be taught. You'll have no need of a teacher, and so why would you go and be taught? It seems contradictory to what Jeremiah promises in the New Covenant. Uh, Well, Quite frankly, that's that's not what that's talking about. Perhaps we'll do an extended study together of Jeremiah 31. In fact, that'd be really fun. Um, and uh, I do know that in one of the interviews that I that I've already conducted that the uh, that that's discussed. So be looking for that. But um, notwithstanding, we still have to talk about how do you know what the Bible teaches. And so when we talk about theological method, all theological method uh, is is an explanation of the way the world is. <laughs> and, and we believe that there are two fountains from which we drink from when it comes to theological method. There's general revelation. So uh, what does what has God al- already revealed about himself? So if you go to Psalm 19, I'm going to uh, open up my uh, program here. Uh, if, I, if I go to Psalm 19... It's quite clearly, and this is where I typically go when I talk about theological method, because you see it so clearly here. This is to the choir master, a psalm of David, and and David starts out by saying, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising from the end of the, is is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. And so, so what David is doing is saying that from from the from the from the dawning of the sun to its setting, that every single moment of every single day, God is declaring His glory to you and to me and to all of his creatures that he's made, that he is great and he's greatly to be praised. And and, and it speaks quite explicitly that, that the heavens declare, this is speaking language, the heavens declare the glory of God. So so when we uh, went out west not too long ago as a family and you see this grandeur of the Grand Canyon, for example, or you, or you see the mountains, uh, and you go to the ocean, go to the beach, and, and people just, I personally love to stand on the beach and just look at the ocean and just listen to the waves going coming in and going out. All of this declares that there is a maker, that there is a creator of you and of me, and there, there's order in the universe, and, and you can get into all of the details of what that looks like. But but we see that, that there has to be someone who made all these things. If you walk along that beach where you're taking in the the ocean, and you see a watch uh, sitting on the beach, 
you don't assume that uh, all of these materials came together just hap haphazardly or by chance, but that you know that there was a watchmaker, that there was someone who masterminded it all. But not only that, but there's somebody that fabricated it all. <laughs> and it just so happens that as it relates to the, the world, that God not only thought it, but he thought it into existence. He created it. He, it, it proclaims his handiwork, that he is the one who fashioned all of these things. Now, when we speak about God fashioning creation, we're not we don't believe that God has a body. In fact, we we quite explicitly Christianity teaches that God is spirit. Uh, he's infinite. He's not contained. Uh, he is uh, eternal. He is all powerful. He's all knowing. He's all of these omnis. Uh, and that, that's starting already to delve into theology proper, right? So theology, when we speak about God, we have to be able to start using some kind of category so our feeble brains can grasp at least an edge of the garment of who God is. And so when we speak about God, we're using theology to do that. Theologos, right? Reason and God, like putting putting these things together so that we can actually speak about logos is the same word for word, right? Word or reason. And so we, we put these words together to try to get at some explanation of who we believe God is. And so Paul picks up the same kind of language in Romans chapter 1 where he says that, that all of creation assumes that there's a maker, that there is no place where you can go and not see that, that God has in fact made these things. And so, you know, when we, when we speak about general revelation, we're saying that God has revealed himself in creation. Um, so let me just, let me just, um, verse 19 of Romans chapter 1. So we went to Psalm 19. This is Romans 1, 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, to all people. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his omnipotence, and divine nature, have been clearly perceived by the senses ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So, so who is without excuse? Mankind, man and woman, are without excuse. For all they, though they knew God, in fact, this... this this desire to put all these things together from our infancy. No one had to teach us about God, but we, we asked the question, where, where did all this come from and who made it? Nobody, nobody told us about God, but that's a natural question that we have is who made these things? And so we are looking for our maker, and God created us in that way. And that's what St. Augustine said, right, is that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, God. So, uh, for although, verse, verse 21, for although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory that we read about in Psalm 19, the glory of the immortal God, the, the God who ever lives, he's eternal, for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Then he goes on to how this depra depravity seeps into every facet of our lives and our relationships with God, our relationships with other people, and our relationships with ourselves, and our relationship with, with the world itself. And so, so we see from the very beginning that God has given us this revelation, and it's, and it's available to all. So we talk about general revelation. But then the second 
uh, stream, or second fountain, as it were, is special revelation. Special revelation, or miraculous revelation, right? Or specific revelation. What is that? Well, quite simply put, it's scripture. When God reveals himself in nature, he also reveals himself in words to people. You see this from the very beginning when he, he spoke to Adam and Eve. He spoke to Noah. He spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to, uh, spoke to all of the patriarchs. spoke through the prophets to the kings. He then, then, then went, there was silence for, for the, in, that, that period between the Old and the New Covenant. And then God broke through and spoke again through his son, Hebrews 1, that he has given us this final word through his son, Jesus. And so this is what's called special revelation because God has specially condescended in a way, as, as one theologian, John Calvin, said that God speaks to us as though a baby babbles. <laughs> and just like, just like you know, when, when I was trying to connect with my, my children when they were babies, you know, I would, I would get down really low and I would communicate my love to them by babbling to them. <laughs> like, just like that. Uh, that's not how I talk to nor <laughs> normal adults. And so I, would, so I would talk to my babies in baby language. And, and in, in many ways, that's what Scripture is. It's God condescending, speaking to us in a language that we can understand. And, and the, the biblical languages are Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, as well as Greek. And so God spoke these words, and, and those are the words that have been redacted down to, down to the writing. Uh, you know, Jesus himself spoke Aramaic, and you see a few Aramaic words and transliterated words in the New Testament when Jesus speaks. Um, but, you know, this is God revealing himself. Not only does he reveal himself, he, he reveals himself to particular people to be his spokespersons. <laughs> you know, you, God... Uh, comes to human beings, and, and not only is he speaking to them, but he's interpreting the world that they already inhabit, the world that they already know that he is glorious. And so he tells them how they can be made right with him. Because we can look at the world, but we would never get the story of Adam and Eve had it not been passed down to us, would we? You don't look at the world and say, look at that tree, oh, I wonder if there were parents. I mean, you probably have an idea, but you don't know what happened. You don't. You look at the world and you see it's beautiful, but then you also see uh, the you see destruction and you see pain and suffering in the world. And so you ask the question, how did that happen? Well, God reveals himself to human beings to show us how we uh, have come to this point in history where, where there's pain and suffering, why, why I don't do what I want to do and I and I do what I don't want to do, right, to use again the Apostle Paul's language. And I think in a lot of ways that's where you start. You start with those two streams of, of general revelation and specific revelation because if we're ever going to speak about God, then we have to speak about him in the way that he's revealed himself. And, and when we claim that uh, the Bible is God's word, that he revealed himself to us, he didn't reveal himself to us exhaustively. In fact, a finite creature can never exhaustively understand an infinite being. But what he does is he, he, he again, using the word condescending in a technical way, he condescends, he comes to us because we are mortal. He is immortal, as we read a moment ago. We are finite. He is infinite. Right? We are weak. He is powerful. And so 
in all of these ways, God speaks to us, but it doesn't ever contain all of who God is. He is beyond uh, these these representations, but he has graciously revealed himself, and preeminently so, in the person and work of Jesus. And so, when we speak about God revealing himself, this is his gracious way of telling us what he is like. It's, it's, he uses what are called anthropomorphisms, anthropomorphisms, which are um, speaking about God as though he has human um, uh, entailments, uh, sometimes even animal entailments that, that, you know, he speaks about us being under the wing of God or that God is a rock. So, so the Lord even uses that very nature to teach us by his special revelation. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I mean, to think about, like, that God uses um, the nature that he's already revealed himself in to help get at what he is like. Right? And so I think it's, it, it just bears just just sitting in that for a bit and considering and just being in awe of the fact that God um, is so kind to us to reveal himself in Scripture. And so so that's how you start with theological method. You always start with God's general revelation and then his specific or special revelation to be able to understand or get at how is God? What is he like? Is he gracious? Is he merciful? Is he a judge? Yes, 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 yes. All of these things and more. And so when we speak about theological method, we start there. And so then you, you get into this, this issue of, well, then how do you read the Bible? How do you understand? I mean, you look at all of the different interpretations of the Bible. Who's right? Well, that's a great question. It's, it's the, the person who... who and, and, and really, that's the wrong question, isn't it? It's not a question of necessarily of who's right, but it's what is God doing in Scripture, what he, he, is, he is calling men and women, boys and girls, to repent of their sin and put their faith in, in the God-man, Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing in Scripture. And so then there is a right interpretation. And what is that? Well, it's the author's own interpretation. So that's what we are trying to get at is what did the author intend or what is called authorial intent uh, in theological circles. So what was the intention of this writing? So when Jeremiah writes about the New Covenant, well, there's, there's an intention that he has to speaking to that specific group of people that are, that are in exile in Babylon, namely the Jewish people in, in Babylon. But then there's a, there's a future hope. Behold, the days are coming. So he knows that he's writing to uh, the, the exiled Israelites, but he's also writing beyond them. Behold, the days are coming, right? So... So what I'm speaking about there is getting an authorial intent. So what is this author intending insofar that we can get at it, right? Because we, we will never purely know what the author intended purely, right? There's always going to be, I mean, we're talking about thousands of years of separation between our interpretation and the author's intent. But that, that, that does not mean, though, as some people take it, this does not mean that we can't ever get an authorial intent because it's all about interpretation. Well, no, if I wrote, you know, you, you look at these Ken Burns uh, documentaries, and he, I love when they read these letters of these uh, soldiers on the field back to their, their uh, wives uh, back, back home. We know what they mean. We know exactly what they mean when they're talking about, uh, I can't wait to see you. And, of course, they're using jargon that we don't use uh, in, in our circles nowadays, um, but we still understand what they're saying. Now, that's, 
you know, you know, decades of separation, uh, generations of separation, and yet we can still understand it. But that just means we have to work a little harder when you talk about millennia of separation. Um, that's that's one thing you got to keep in mind is what is this author intending, and then you get at what is this author saying in his whole letter or book. And so you, you get this, what's called a theology of that particular book. So what is Jeremiah's theology? So you would look at the whole book of Jeremiah and say, okay, what is he trying to do? And you would look at that coupled, I think, with Lamentations as well, because I believe Jeremiah, Jeremiah uh, authored uh, uh, Lamentations as well. But um, at least that's what church tradition has, has taught. And I'll, I'll go on that side. And at the end of the day, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, matter that much. But I think it does inform... Uh, how we read both of those those books. So with that being said, so you, you 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 start with then what did this author intend? How does this fit with his whole program in the book? Um, so and then how does that fit with other writings he's written? So if you look uh, like at Paul, he's written several letters. So you you don't say okay, well I'm just going to only read Galatians. Well you need to read Galatians in in relationship to Romans and to Colossians and to Philippians and all these other letters that he's written to get at what, what was Paul after? What was his theology? What was he trying to communicate to not only those churches but the churches beyond? Because these letters were passed from church to church to church. It wasn't just to the Colossians only. It was primarily to the Colossians. It's primarily to the Corinthians to deal with some issues, but those letters were meant to be passed on so that God's church could be built up. And so that's the assumption that Paul had. That's the assumption uh, that the churches had, that they would be reading these out loud in the congregations, then they'd be passing them on to other people. So so that's where you, you go next, is, okay, what is this author saying in other writings that they've written? And then you look at what is the, how does this fit in with the whole Bible, Right. What is the storyline of Scripture? And, and historically, that's been creation, fall, redemption, consummation. So when, when God um, started and created, created the earth, you know what, what we see in, in Genesis 1 through 3 is we got creation, fall in Genesis 3. And then we see God working through designated people to bring about salvation. You know, we have a, a hope that God will redeem his people and in the person of Seth, perhaps this is the one who will redeem. No, Seth isn't, isn't the person. Seth being the, the third son of, of Adam and Eve after Cain slew Abel. But um, so, you, so you see that, you see this throughout, that, that, that people, the Bible particularly, is awaiting someone to redeem, someone to to come back to the garden, you see this language of the what's called the Proto-Evangelion or Evangelion, however you want to uh, pronounce it, in Genesis chapter 3 where, where God says, well, he speaks to the serpent, he says, the seed of the woman will crush your head <laughs> and you'll bruise his heel, you'll hurt him, but you won't conquer him, he's going to crush you. Right? And so, so we see that even from there, God spoke this word of life to to Adam and Eve saying that there is a future hope and so they put maybe maybe Seth was going to be the one that would crush S Satan under his foot well not no that that doesn't happen because you see he dies and then you think maybe Noah he's going to be the the new start for this for this world that is so uh, impoverished 
and depraved. Nope, not Noah, because after the flood, he, we, we find him drunk in the garden. And then you think maybe Abraham. Well, no, no, he's, 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 uh, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, but he was still a coward and he didn't conquer Satan. Right? He was uh, afraid to, to uh, is afraid of <laughs> being killed by, by, as he was sojourning with his wife and saying that, it, that Sarah was his sister. But then you see all of these stories pushing forward to this behold this behold the days are coming where there's going to be this future fulfillment of redemption and God's going to redeem his people. And then we see that uh, in the in the person and work of Jesus. And then in and then but and so he's accomplished salvation for us, but it's not yet complete. Right? We are in the process of birth pangs, to use Paul's language. We are in this we're in this process of of seeing the creation groaning as though it's giving birth and we wait for that consummation we wait until that day when Jesus returns and that is called the consummation of the age when Jesus will come to reign fully and completely he already reigns now but he will he will set up his reign for eternity and there will be no more tears there will be no more death on earth and so we look forward to that day, and we cry out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And that's what I just did there, is what is tracing out the story of redemption, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And what that does is that helps us give a framework for what is Scripture doing. How do we fit our stories within that larger story of creation, fall, redemption, consummation? And so that's what is technically called biblical theology. And so that's where our biblical, that, that, that's where we start to begin to shape things. Okay, what is this story? Well, then you start to have to answer the question, well, what is man? Who is God? Who is Jesus? What is marriage? You know, all of the, what is sin? Who is say All these things that, that the story presupposes, you have to explicitly start to explain and so then we moved to the next stage of theological method, and that's called systematic theology. And so you take this biblical theology, this biblical storyline, and you begin to a- answer the questions or apply that biblical theology to life. So we have this question of, well, how did the world get so messed up, but it seems so amazing, too? So how is that even possible? Well, that's uh, the study of what's called hamartiology, or the study of sin, right, from the, from the Greek words, again, from the, the study of sin. And so we... We go there in our... our it, it, so systematic theology has all these breakdowns of, of what we're answering. So theology proper answers the question of who is God. Like when we speak about God the being, the divine being, who is God. And you have Christology, who is Jesus Christ, both his person. Like how, how is he 100% man, 100% God? His work, how did he go, how did he go about... Uh, redeeming the world, and then you have pneumatology, or the study of the Spirit, so speaking about the the Trinity, right, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so we speak about the Spirit, and who He is, and what He does, and how do these three persons of the one divine being named God, how do these three persons coexist, and how do they, how are all three eternal, and yet one, and so you get into the issues of Trinity, what is the Trinity, and then from there, you have ecclesiology, you have, uh, which is the study of the church, eschatology, the study of the last things, and then you have 
I mean, you, you just have tons of different areas of theology. And so that's how you do theological method. And so I'm presupposing you knowing all these things in this podcast when I, when I speak about these things. And I'll, I'll reference them. I don't expect you to be able to take a test or anything like that. This is just, again, a, a, a way for, for me to set out from the beginning some things that, that I may be presupposing that you wouldn't know offhand because I don't presume that everyone listening to this has gone to a Bible college or a seminary or done any extensive study. Maybe um, maybe you've learned things in Sunday school uh, or maybe you don't know anything about uh, God or the gospel of Jesus and you're, you're stumbling upon this podcast. Welcome. And this is who, who we are or who I am and what I'm presenting in this podcast. And so um, that's that's... I think, in a nugget, in a nutshell, as it were, uh, what is theological? How do you do theology? What is theological method? And so I'd love to hear your comments, your questions, uh, as I'm continuing to, to develop and, and grow this community of, of folks as we're journeying on this, on this path together towards a greater understanding of God and our role in His world. And so I'd love for you to send me questions at Matthew at MatthewWireman.com. Anytime, any question, nothing is out of bounds. Um, happy to happy to spend some time answering some of those questions, and depending on how those shake out, they may be. Uh, you know, if there's a one question that pops up more than others, I may do a, a longer episode, or I may just do a, a series of Q and As uh, in in another podcast. So it just depends on on what questions come in, because inevitably there's going to be some doozies of questions, and there's going to be uh, not as doozies of a question. Not that they're not difficult, but they're not as uh, a doozy of a question. And so, um, just wanted to uh, at least start this this journey together. And, and again, thank you for listening to this third episode. And if you haven't listened to one and two yet, please go back to those before you go to the other uh, episodes. And and if you would just share uh, about this podcast, if you found it helpful, please share it with other people. I'd love to be able to get this message out and perhaps help as many people as we can. Uh, to know the Bible and grow in their understanding of the Bible. I did want to also share with you finally, if this intrigues you, this understanding of theological method intrigues you, I want to invite you to go to BibleReadingBlueprint.com. BibleReadingBlueprint.com. That's a website I've I've put together where you can get a free uh, Bible Reading Blueprint worksheet that kind of walks you through some of the things that I've shared as well as um, you can sign up for a course that, that I've built. That's a four-module course um, that you can go at your own pace. You can learn step-by-step, step, four steps on how to read the Bible. And I just I touched on very briefly, very superficially, some of the things um, that, that I, I talk about in that course. But I'd like to invite you to go to BibleReadingBlueprint.com and uh, sign up there, get on the, the mailing list, as well as uh, sign up for the course. And uh, if so led, you can join our community as well. We, we have a, a growing community of people uh, who are uh, wanting to sharpen each other, wanting to help each other on this path uh, towards, towards God. And I just wanted to invite you, if you are just joining us and you've never heard about this, uh, again, go to BibleReadingBlueprint.com. You can also check out my uh, website, MatthewWireman.com. Again, that's M-A-T-T-H-E-W, and then Wireman, like fireman, except with the W, .com, MatthewWireman.com, and you can find out more about me. I've got my blog there, link to the podcast, and transcripts, and 
and uh, also you'll find the link for the Bible reading uh, blueprint there as well. So all that to say, y'all are awesome. So thankful for you, and I can't wait to talk with you again. <music>